Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass? So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, to get 20, 20, 20, to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. You want the upper hand in your fantasy football leagues? Then you've come to the right place. To the right place. You're listening to the Upper Hand Fantasy Podcast. Now, here's your host, Faraz Sadiqi and Zach Rizzuto. Guys, guys, today's a special day. Okay, today is a special day. Why? Because Dwayne McFarlane is in the house. Okay, Fantasy Life's Dwayne McFarlane. You might have seen him on Pro Football Focus, his utilization report. But, you know, from, from my experiences, my limited experiences with Dwayne, seems like a really, really nice guy. And I just want to get to know him more. And we're going to do that on this episode. Dwayne, it's really an honor to have you on the podcast, man. I told you uh, in person before uh, at the Fantasy Expo, uh, not this past, not, not last week that I had to miss because I was away with my wife, but last year that I told you that I had a ton of respect for the work that you put out. You've had a huge influence on me personally. I've been putting out fantasy content for about six years now. Um, I've always had a, you know, more analytical approach to things. Um, You know, what's more likely to happen based on what's happened in the past and similar scenarios, right? Give me the numbers. What metrics actually matter? Can we separate the metrics that are actually indicative of future fantasy performance versus, you know, any sort of metrics that are not indicative or, you know, whether right. a player is actually good or if a player can't sustain their pace, can we separate correlation from causation as much as possible? And I, you know, I have a, you know, engineering background. Maybe that's why that's where it comes from. Maybe, you know, that logic, right. But I've always listened to the podcast that you had, you know, that podcast you had with, 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 uh, Brian, right. Brian Dre called the hustle. Yeah. Right. Fantasy football, yep. football hustle. You know, every week you broke down the usage for every player. I absolutely love that, and I think it just aligned with with how I did things as well. But, you know, you took it to another level, and I, I know you've been putting out – you've been getting a lot of flowers from the fantasy community, uh, especially, you know, over the last couple of years, but you deserve it, and I think Fantasy Life is very lucky to have you. Dwayne McFarlane's in the house, everybody. Woo! Well, man, hey, I, I appreciate it, getting to come on and hang out with you. Um, I enjoyed getting to hang out with you in Canton. I was disappointed that I didn't get to hang out with you this year in Canton, but when you told me why, I totally understood, and I would have also missed Canton <laughs> to go hang out <laughs> and do what you got to do. And just like we were talking a little before the show, like this is go time. You know, you get back from a little vacation time, and you got you to kiss the wife and family goodbye uh, because it's fantasy season. It is upon us, and, uh, you know, there's no – even though – like we have to sacrifice some of those things, like it's what we love. And so to get to come on and just chat about it with you and then get your opinions and your takes too. And that's the thing I love the most about this community is like, 
everyone edifying one another, right? Like I had someone on Twitter the other day ask me about, I had a take out there and like they had a really good counter and I'm like, oh, you know, like have I thought about it that way? Like I need to step back and like maybe reevaluate. And like to me, that's when the magic happens. When people get away from like trying to prove their takes and they get into a point like where we're all trying to make each other like sharper um, in a in a constructive, you know, manner. And like, I feel like there's a lot of that going on in the fantasy community, uh, community today. And like, there's a lot of like really young folks, like up and coming that like, I just like, I love the way their brains work. Um, yeah. I'm good with old brains like mine, you know, as well. <laughs> but like, I just love the diversity of the community now as well. Like that's, that's getting better. So yeah, man, just super happy to be on with you. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. And, and I totally agree. And, you know, now, and, you know, those takes, you know, when, when you're challenged and when you got, when, when there's a back and forth, but it's respectful, the community sees it. And, and I'm, I'm not even talking about the fantasy community of analysts, but the people who consume yes. uh, the analysis, right? They see that and they, their respect level goes to a different level for, for both people, you know, and they don't even care who's right. They just they just care about good conversation. They care about good debate, and they learn from it, right? And that's what we're trying to do, right? And I think a lot of people will get a get a lot of information and a lot of uh, good process um, from what you know your your work, the work that you put out. We're we're gonna get a little bit of a sneak peek of that today. So so guys, Dwayne, you know, is over at Fantasy Life. Make sure to check out FantasyLife.com. For all of his work, you know, they got Ian Harditz over there. They got Kendall, Peter, Matthew. They just have a ton of great analysts and, and content creators over there. And, and they're going to really help you out, especially Dwayne. Uh, so, Dwayne, is there a plan for you to be putting out a utilization report every week? At there is. There is. And we're actually working on tools behind the scenes that people will be able to get to for free. Uh, we have uh, created a partnership with Pro Football Focus. So it will be powered by PFF. So it's the data like that I really came to love and understand and know during my time, honestly, before PFF. And then once I got to work there, I got access to even more data. And so I'm super excited about that partnership, but there are going to be utilization tools. Like our goal is to ultimately have a utilization suite where, you know, behind the scenes, we're, we're getting that stuff all kicked off. Like we've been doing all the data work, but now we're starting to look at building out the tools our goal is to have some things up week one and then just continue to improve it. Right. And over time, like that suite will just expand into more and more things. We've got a ton of ideas, like things that like I'm always doing while I'm writing the utilization report, but we can turn those things into tools and even things that like I've just wanted to do, but I've never had the time to do them. And now we could automate them. And so I'm, man, I'm super, super excited about what's coming on that front. So I can't wait until we launch the utilization suite. Yeah, that sounds like music to my ears. And I'll be using that, guys. And make sure to use it because, remember, Dwayne said that it is free, okay? To get these type of resources for free is honestly really, really cool. And I love uh, the mission behind Fantasy Life and what they're trying to do. Um, they're, making, they're making all the information accessible. So at this point, guys, you have no excuse. So if you lose your, your, fantasy, you, if you lose your fantasy league and you're not competing, that's your own damn fault. Okay, there's nobody, <laughs> there's nobody that is gatekeeping any information from you because the best stuff seems to be free at this point. All right. So anyway, let's talk football. Uh, and this might get a little nerdy for some folks, okay? But listen, this is going to help us be better at fantasy football. Okay, guys, trust me. All right. Dwayne, let's start with the running back position. Okay. What are some of the metrics uh, that you look for 
when determining RB1s or, you know, RB2s, right? And specifically, I want to start with running backs who might not be too involved in the passing game, okay? So what percentage of a, of the rushing share, of a team's rushing share, does a running back need if he's not overly involved in the pass game? You know, yeah, someone they, like Nick Chubb comes to mind, right? Sure. Someone like Derrick Henry, Jonathan Taylor. Obviously, their talent profiles are a big piece of the puzzle here, but let's try to move that aside for a second, right? Is there a threshold that you look for when it comes to rushing share uh, percentage that you say, oh, okay, you know, this running back can be a borderline RB1 here, you know, if, even if he's not too involved in the pass game, or is it really a matter of, you know, if a running back isn't involved in the pass game and he's not really that talented, it's going to be really hard for them to be anywhere close to an RB1. Yeah, for sure. And, and so there are definitely layers to this, but like just trying to keep it like, you know, really straightforward. Um, we want a running back that's going to have a chance to get 65 to 70% of the rushing attempts. Now, you could be a little less if you're on a run heavy team, right? So like if you play for the Tennessee Titans and we know Mike Vrabel, no matter what, he's going to stay pretty committed to the ground game, no matter the game script. But then most coaches are not like that. We saw Arthur Smith also do that last year. He stayed, he remained very committed to the ground game, even when they weren't winning. You probably a lot of that time back to quarterback play. His thought process was probably, I know we need to pass, but nothing good is going to happen. Like if I pass the ball more, even though I've got these weapons, like my quarterback's a liability. So you've got to have the right kind of coach. And honestly, that can be hard to find and it can be hard to predict. But as a rule of thumb, you want someone that can get to that 60, 65% of the team's rushing attempts. Um, and that's where, you know, you can get a player like a Derrick Henry. That's where you can get a player like a Nick Chubb. Um, I will say in a standard format, like that can go down a little bit, right? Once you get away from PPR settings, like that can also adjust a little bit, but you want someone that's going to get essentially get two thirds of the work. Um, and if you're in a PPR league, like they, they, you need to feel really good, like that they're going to get that type of workload. Like that's the only way you can take someone like a Derrick Henry, or Nick Chubb in a PPR format is you've got to know that they're going to be that true, not bell cow because they're not getting passing down work, but the true leader uh, on the ground for the team. And if I'm not mistaken, you know, I was looking at your rankings before the show, you have Nick Chubb as your RB three, yeah. you know, and I, and you know, is this about him assuming a little bit more in the receiving game potentially with Kareem hunt gone? Is this more about a potential increase in rushing volume or the offense taking a step forward. Help me understand that. Yeah, it's really several things coming together for Chubb. Number one, I think the assumption, right, that I've seen a lot in the community is that, you know, Jerome Ford, even before the injury, like, so set the injury aside, it was, uh, he's just going to take over Kareem Hunt's role. I think people forget because last year Kareem Hunt took a step back, how good Kareem Hunt has been before that, right? Kareem Hunt and Nick Chubb together, I think there was a point where we could argue, they were like both top six runners in the league. It's very rare that you get that. So I think a lot of folks have looked at it and they're like, well, you know, Kareem Hunt was taking the passing down work, but like what's Nick Chubb really going to gain? I, well, Kareem Hunt was also still in carries inside the five yard line. I don't think Jerome Ford is the same threat to, to take away looks once you're down into scoring position. Also, Kareem Hunt would come into games where the Browns were winning and, and they would have a blowout lead. And they would just not even a blowout. They're just leading. They would turn to right. Kareem Hunt, right? But he was efficient enough to come in and do Nick Chubb's job, keep the chains moving, grind out the clock, win the game. I think you're going to see less of that from, from Jerome Ford. And then finally, even though Nick Chubb is not a high-end 
uh, receiving back. And we'll talk more about those metrics in a minute. Like he's a subpar target earner, Nick Chavez, like, but he can catch the ball. Like if he's going to be on the field more naturally, that's going to lead to more receptions. I don't expect him to suddenly be a bigger part of the passing game as far as earning targets. But I do think there's a really good chance that we see Nick Chubb remain on the field like in long down and distance. There's going to be a chance that he takes more of the two-minute offense. Jerome Ford was not a great receiving back in college. I actually think the biggest challenge to Chubb in the receiving game might be Demetric Felton, and that doesn't really bother me. So I think there's a chance that Nick Chubb actually is on the field for 70% of the snaps this year. And he's out there receiving. He is not losing work inside the five-yard line. And then when you pair all that with, He's just awesome. <laughs> like Nick Chubb, he's just one of these guys like every year, like all the things we're looking at from a talent profile standpoint, right? The yards after contact, the explosive rush rate. Last year, 16% of his carries went for 10 plus yards. That's freaking amazing, especially considering how many carries Nick Chubb had. Like the league average is 10.5%. Like an, an RB1 over the last 10 years has averaged 12%. Nick Chubb's at a 16%. And this is not something new to him. Like he does this kind of thing every year. So a guy that can break long runs, a guy that can score in close. And your final point you brought up, what if Deshaun Watson and the reports haven't been good early out of camp. I need Deshaun to turn things around. He's my most rostered uh, quarterback in the first seven rounds of best ball right now. I'm at like 20% on this guy. (laughs) But Deshaun Watson has been an elite quarterback almost every time we've seen him in his life, except for the six games last year. And so I'm just leaning into that. Like you don't typically see a quarterback at his age suddenly just suck. Like it's really rare to see one, someone face plant when they've shown us as many good years as Deshaun Watson has had. And so that just means the overall offense is there. There's an opportunity to score more touchdowns if the offense can be more explosive. So I just think there's a lot of things stacking up for Nick Chubb. Uh, you know, he's a great player and all those things just add up to it's hard for me to not put him at RB three. Yeah. And, and, and the Deshaun Watson stuff, you know, all the negative reports that has really just come in recently, you know, off of a couple of reports, you know, very recently from what I've heard early on in training camp and OTAs and all that, he looks like a different quarterback. So hopefully that's the Deshaun Watson that we're seeing. And I'm on board with you. I do think that we're going to see a lot more of the Deshaun Watson that we saw you know, prior to to all the off off the field stuff, um, and you know, if this is truly going to turn into a quote unquote Deshaun Watson led offense, then I do think that this will be a potential. Like, even if that's the case, I do think that Nick Chubb will be on the field more. You know, we'll we'll talk a little bit more uh, about you know route participation and how that matters for these running backs, what those thresholds will look like. But it's possible that Nick Chubb does run some more routes this year. Uh, Demetric Felton. Now, in the past, there has been games, not this past year, but the year before, where Kareem Hunt has missed. And in those games, Nick Chubb hasn't, you know, reached the thresholds that we want to see. Uh, but, you know, the sample size is relatively small, right? Nick Chubb hasn't surpassed, you know, 65% of snaps in any of those games without Kareem Hunt. However, you know, five games. Jerome sample. Ford would have to be, he would have to like surprise us the way Dearness Johnson did. Dearness Johnson right. like was just hyper efficient that one year. And I think he just basically played so well that the staff was like, oh, well, we can just use Dearness Johnson instead of Kareem Hunt. I think right. that was a, kind of a special circumstance. Like it was really like, and I mean, I don't know if it was just a fluke or not, but like Dearness Johnson, he's not on the team anymore, but right. he just played like way above like what we expected for him. So like yeah. Jerome Ford would have to do something like that, not out of the range of outcomes, but given where Jerome Ford went, in the draft and given his collegiate profile, it would be out of character in my opinion, like for Jerome Ford to do that. 
Yeah, I, 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 to- I totally hear you there. Now, what percentage of the target share and route participation does a running back need for him to have RB1 potential, right? We talked about the percentage you need that a running back one needs. You, you mentioned two-thirds mm-hmm. of the overall rushing share. What about in the receiving game? What percentage of that target, target share and route participation are we looking for? Yeah, so I break it really down into two things that then lead you to target share, and it's route participation, which you just talked about, and then there's your targets per route run. Um, I really like using this combination for running backs because we get different players that are on the field for different scenarios with coaches, right? Oh, you're my two-minute offense. You're going to be my long down and distance back. Oh, we're trailing. That's pretty much we're going to go to our speeded up offense, the two-minute offense. Defense is going to go into shell coverage. We're going to have to check it down a lot. That's how Austin Eckler goes from having eight fantasy points for you to suddenly you look up at the end of the game, and it's only like four minutes later in the game, and now he has 23. It's a drive in one of these scenarios where he suddenly picks up four catches on one drive with 40 yards and he scores a touchdown, right? That's how you get these big boosts at the end of a game or at the end of a half. And so typically what we want to see is like for an elite passing down option, you're going to be 65 to 70% route participation. We're talking about your Christian McCaffrey's, your Alvin Kamara's. Uh, Kamara missed that by a little bit last year. Um, we're talking about uh, DeAndre Swift at points in his career. Um, so these are guys that teams really know they want to have on the field pretty much in most passing downs. But then you also have the talent you need to have to now turn that into something. And so targets per route run, the elite number is like once you get to 25, 26, 27%. Now, again, we're back in that CMC, Kamara, Eckler. These are the guys that earn targets in that range. And what I love about like this kind of exercise is it really helps you instead of just forecasting pure targets, you can really do more of a range of outcome scenario, right? You can say, well, what if DeAndre Swift does get 65% of the passing down work, right? That could be scenario one, but he only gets 30% of the rushing attempts. We think Rashad Penny's going to do this. We think Kenneth Gainwell's going to do that. And then you know, wow, he was an elite target earner last year, 26% targets per route run. Well, now that can be like one range of outcomes, like in many, for DeAndre Swift, but you're allowing him to play to his strengths. You're like, you know, that's reasonable. DeAndre Swift has been such a good receiver over the over his early part of his career, even though the Lions may have had hangups with him, like as far as his between-the-tackle running style, he's a guy they've liked to have on the field and passing downs. And so it allows you, by using those combinations, for me anyway, like it allows me to really create a range of outcomes for a player that's not just a math equation, right? Where you say, hey, here's the median. And then we know like, here are the two, you know, here's basically in a bell curve where we're just going to cut off the tails. No, now it allows me to say, okay, here's the median based on like the way this team is built, everything I see. So I'm going to give in this example, DeAndre Swift, 35% of the rushing attempts, but I'm going to give him 50% of the route participation because he's been really good. So that's that's the median. But then you got to build your ceiling case, which is DeAndre Swift was also good from an efficiency standpoint, like as a runner, what if we look up and he actually gets 60, you know, you can't say 60 for the Eagles because we know 25% of the design running attempts are going to Jalen Hurts. So let's say he gets 50% of the rushing attempts, 65% of the dropbacks. Now that's his ceiling range for me based on the Eagles. And now I have a really good range of outcomes and I can go to the floor and I can say, well, what if Kenneth Gainwell, he was pretty good as a receiver. What if, what if Swift doesn't take over the passing downs? He only gets 30% route participation. And he only gets 25% of the carries. Now I have a realistic floor based on Kenneth Gainwell wins part of the passing downs. And it's a three-way split in the rushing department, a four-way, 
It's a four-way split because we got to include <laughs> Jalen Hurts, right? right? But that's why I love breaking it down that way because now it's not just, well, here's my median, and then you know, based on just mathematical percentages, here's what the ceiling look like looks like on the floor. Now I can actually say, no, based on football, based on what these guys are good at, and if I create these different combinations, I can actually tell you a floor for DeAndre Swift, and I can give you a ceiling. And the ceiling we really care about because then that helps us, we and the floor, obviously, but it helps us weigh risk-reward versus where the player's going in the draft. So like right now, DeAndre Swift falling into round eight on all this Gainwell news, even though newsflash last night, Gainwell had to play with the backups and DeAndre Swift got to rest. Right. Like the upside for him because of his archetype, he's so good in the passing game. He's like one of the only people you can draft after round seven that has a true ceiling of like 18 fantasy points per game based on mapping out like what all the roles could be for his team. Like it's really hard to get, that's an RB one, right? right? So while there's a floor with Swift and I get it, like people should not be ignoring him and round eight, he's still a really great pick because that ceiling is there. And Oh, by the way, then we can look at the median and say, okay, I'm going to score one point less per game, maybe than some of the wide receivers I like in that range. But if they don't have the same ceiling, well, now you know what your trade-off is. You're like, I'm going to trade off this median outcome of one point per game for this ceiling. And so that's a big driver behind why I do all of these things um, is, is to really try to get a better handle on range of outcomes and have it tie back to actual football versus, and I love math. Like I love math too, but I'm not a mathematician. You know, I love football and I try to apply math and these other things to football to help people win fantasy. It, it makes a lot of sense, man. And you mentioned the 27% targets per route run for Swift last year, and that's according to Fantasy Life Data Profiles. You can check that out. Yep. They have that listed. They literally have – you can sort it <laughs> by running back, by wide receiver, uh, and all that on FantasyLife.com. But when you look at – And exclude Swift, the games like, they miss there, right? So, like right. – Well, tw targets per route run is easy because it cuts across all that. But, like, in the target right. shares and things like that, like, we try to exclude – we don't we don't want to count against, you know, them things that, you know, they can't account for, right, with an injury. Exactly, exactly, we, which is – Super helpful because that's what we do. We go to Pro Football Reference. We 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 yeah. Then we have to look for it. Yes, it's a cheat <laughs> code basically for, <laughs> to make things a little faster. Exactly, exactly. And this is a team that didn't even love him a whole lot, a whole lot, right? And he was still targeted at twenty seven percent. That was top five among running backs. You know, yards per route run, always near the top of the league, right? We know he's a very good receiver, as you mentioned. Now he goes to a Philly team with a quarterback who likes to run the ball. And also a team that isn't necessarily a pass-first team, right? So now they can be at times, depending on the game script, if it calls for it. But you do look at the situation and say, are they going to script Swift into the receiving game? Um, you know, do we don't do we have to worry about the scrambling quarterback? You know, I look at the Cam Newton, Christian McCaffrey days. You know, there was no issue with McCaffrey getting the ball. Uh, but Jalen Hurts also has two ballers at wide receiver and a very good tight end too. Now. What do you say to to those who say, like, you know what? There might not be a whole lot for Swift. Yes, we know what his ceiling can be. Uh, what is the likelihood that he gets there with, on a team that has ballers at the receiver position, at the tight end position, and also a quarterback who might not dump it down a whole lot? Will will sh Do you think that it is more reasonable to say that they would just script someone like Swift into the receiving game? Well, I think there's a couple things. Number one, like to get a 27% targets per route run, like you have to be really good. Uh, so it's similar to receivers. We don't just see many running backs demand those targets. You can scheme running backs more targets because they're behind the line of scrimmage. They're under the zone coverage. And you might see things like that for a team that only has one wide receiver. It's like, oh, my first read's covered. I'm going to check it down to my running back. 
but Swift is really a different archetype. Like he's a guy that can go out and earn targets on his own. He's shown it multiple years in a row. Um, the other thing I try to look for is if they're a plus average depth of target player, right? And Swift was last year. Those guys are typically more sticky year over year because they can be part of a read progression. If they're beyond the quarterback and they can see them and now they're part of a route combination, for example, the tight end could be running a seam and then the running backs coming back underneath running an angle route um, against the linebacker. That's a high low read, you know, for the quarterback. They're reading the safety and the linebacker and they're basically, you know, letting the defense the defense dictate which matchup they get throwing the ball because if 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 your route's always behind the line of scrimmage and you're Jalen Hurts and you look over and you see DeAndre Swift and you're like well I could check it down to DeAndre Swift he's pretty good but I could also just take off for like 25 yards right now <laughs> and so the quarterback doesn't have to take an extra risk by throwing the ball that could become an incompletion or worst case gets you know bad in the air turns into an interception so the processing is I'll just take off but the good news with Swift is he has actually shown, right, that he can be more incorporated into the pass game. I did bring him down, though, in my projections. The beauty is, like, when you're at a 27% targets per route run, like, I can bring you all the way down to, like, a 21 22%, which is really still good because that helps me account for what you smartly said, the other factors in the offense, which is A.J. Brown is really good, and Devonta Smith might be one of the more underrated wide receivers in the league. Now, fantasy managers know about Devonta Smith. He's a second-round pick. But I don't know that the real NFL uh, fan base realizes yet like how good Devonta Smith really is. And you mentioned Dallas Goddard. So, again, it allows you to be reasonable about it. Let's just take this guy to 22%. I don't think it suddenly means he's 15%. Um, Sam Hoppen put out an awesome, awesome graphic on this on Twitter. Uh, I think he did an article on it as well over at Fantasy Points. Um, you know, sorry, uh, fantasy pros. And it was about like which scrambling target uh, quarterbacks actually impacted target rate to their running backs the most or target shares. And Jalen Hurts was only a minus 1%. He was only a negative 1% when it came to his willingness to target running backs. There were other guys that were more. So that was like fascinating to me. And I can't wait yeah. to see him like do that uh, research as he has more and more data available. But uh I think there's plenty of room for Swift here just because yeah, I love that. And especially at, at his price, right? It's really, really, really hard to pass up on that upside. I was kind of cool taking him in the six, man, honestly. And I know now, now we get him falling, in the eight <laughs> <laughs> and now that he's fallen in, but you know, now, now after last night, Kenneth Gainwell is not the starter anymore, unfortunately. Right? Like, so Kenneth, Kenneth Gainwell, he was the Eagles starter proclaimed Eagles starter before yesterday. So, and now he's not. So, <laughs> so we'll see how that ends up working out now. One thing that jumps out to me is someone like James Cook, right? Oh, Devin Singletary, he ran the seventh most routes last year among running backs, and he was targeted on only 13% of those routes. And that was not good, okay? And James <laughs> Cook had a 26% target per route run rate, okay? So when I look at Cook's routes increasing here, right, I can't help but target Cook everywhere, you know, regardless of the hype that he's been getting recently, right? This might be more of a you know, quarterback not targeting the running back because he's just not as good, right? Like what you were just mentioning, compared to a quarterback now targeting a running back because they're very good in the receiving game. Is This seems like a similar situation to me. Yeah, man. I love James Cook this year. Um, and I think even if you only project him to get like 30% of the rushing attempts, taking over this passing down role, and, and by the way, like Naheem Hines being out, it does matter a little. Because he could have been the fallback plan, right, if James Cook was struggling in the passing game. Hines is a guy that we've agree. seen be 
a high-end receiver out of the backfield, even though Cook was projected to be the guy in that lead role. Naheem Hines was really good at what he did, and now there's no chance of him like pushing Cook for that role, so that's a little thing that I like. But you hit on the main part, that 27% targets per route run. I, look, I was a James Cook truther last year, and I hate to say truther. I just let the data lead me where the data leads me, <laughs> you know. And it led me to James Cook. Like I arrived at his front door. Uh, I knocked on it. I begged him to let me in. Like, uh, and he didn't. Like I got the cold shoulder. <laughs> he did not get a lot of playing time last year, right? right? And so that surprised me. Um, and, and so if there's a negative with him, it's the fact that Devin Singletary is not a good receiving back, right? He is not a good receiving back. That's really he's not been good at it his entire time in in the NFL especially with a scrambler like Watson. He's not a guy that's going to demand these targets down the field. Um, so that's a mark against him for James Cook, that he couldn't beat out Singletary because I think the Bills probably wanted him to, and then he didn't. So that's something we always have to pay attention to. Right. But what I have to say that's positive for James Cook is whenever he was on the field, what you just mentioned. When he was out there, he had that twenty-seven per, or 26% targets per route run, 1.43 yards per route run, 26% targets per route run from the scrambling quarterback and Josh Allen. And what did he have? He had the plus average depth of target, 2.3, meaning he can be part of that primary read progression. It's also more of a risk reward for Josh Allen when he sees it. I can throw it seven yards down the field to James Cook, who's already open, or I have to take off from here. Right, That's a different proposition than I'm swinging it to James Cook, who's sitting in the flat, and I could just take off. So right. those are all the things that come into play. So I do think that James Cook can overcome the fact that Josh Allen is a scrambling quarterback. And I want to be part of the Bills offense. I want as many pieces of it as I can get. I think Gabe Davis is too late this year. I think James Cook is going too late this year. I, I was off Gabe Davis last year, but I want it. Yeah. I want Dalton Kincaid, but James Cook is the one. Like He's the primary guy. I think we could look up for us and be like, wow, like, how high is too high in week four for us to rank James Cook? Like we could be having to have that conversation. Um, if he suddenly is getting 50% of the rushing attempts and playing all the passing downs, he's it's going to be really hard for him to not be a top 12 running back in fantasy yeah. in PPR. In he's RB1. Yes. He's, he's RB1. Gonna, he, <laughs> you know, and even up. at 30%, man, even if Damian Harris gets healthy, Damian Harris is a good player. Like, and he, let's say he takes 50% of the rushing attempts and Cook only gets 30%. I still think James Cook's going to pay off your ADP this year just because he's going to take over passing downs. The connection between you and your therapist matters. That's why Alma focuses on helping you find the right someone to talk to, not just anyone. When you browse their online directory, you can filter your search by what you want to focus on, like anxiety, relationships, or big life transitions. You can also specify preferences around gender, race, faith, and more to help you find someone who's more likely to understand where you're coming from. Alma also makes it easy for therapists to navigate insurance. That's why 95% of providers in their directory accept insurance for sessions, so you can find care that's affordable too. You want to talk to someone, but not just anyone. Alma is there to help you find the right fit. Visit helloalma.com slash not just anyone to schedule a free consultation today. That's helloalma.com slash not just anyone. The national sales event is on at your Toyota dealer, making now the perfect time to get a great deal on a dependable new car. Like a legendary Camry, built for performance and available with all-wheel drive, you can count on your new Camry to get anywhere you need to go. And with available features like heated seats and a multimedia touchscreen, you can stay connected in comfort and style. 
Or check out an affordable and reliable Corolla with a trim for every lifestyle. From the hip and agile sedan to the sporty hatchback, there's a dependable Corolla built just for you. Plus, both Camrys and Corollas are available in hybrid models. So no matter your style, you can drive efficiently and affordably. And right now, your local Toyota dealer has more vehicles in stock and is making delivery on new vehicles almost every day. So visit your local Toyota dealer. And check out amazing national sales event deals on Camrys, Corollas, and more when you visit buyatoyota.com. Offers end April 1st. Toyota, let's go places. I had uh, Bill's beat reporter Sal Capaccio on the show last week, well, two weeks ago. And 30% is too low, man. It, 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 he, he seems to be beating that drum, say like James Cook is just the guy. He's the yeah. guy. Those, those I think are that's his the words. floor, though. The beauty you know? is the floor. At his right. floor, he will floor. be worth your pick. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. So, you know, I think he's. Uh, and, I, and I've been saying this for a few weeks now. And and I I totally agree with you on the Naheem Hines thing, man. Like, I really got like I was in on James Cook at, at ADP, but once this Naheem Hines news hit, because I was a little bit worried. You know, if you if you look at Naheem Hines over the last several seasons since he became since he came into the league. He was like up top five, top seven, top eight in yards per route run every single year. And there's a reason why Jonathan Taylor was coming off the field for him, right? And that brings me to Jonathan Taylor here, right? Hey, now, before we go, his... we got to have one last okay, piece ahead. of fun with James Cook. So I've got let's my projection it, model up, right? Yeah. I have him at only 38% of the rushing attempts right now. I bumped him up slightly with the okay. Damian Harris stuff that's been going on. Uh, and I've only got him at 50% route participation. This is where I have him for his median outcome. That's 11.9 points per game and a half PPR is what that ends up coming out to, right? Like I'm doing all the stuff at the top level for the team, like the volume projections for the bills, all that stuff, Josh Allen. Then I do running back wide receiver tight end. So let's say James Cook just gets to 50% of the rushing attempts, right? So I'm going to put that in. And then what do we want to do? Let's let's give him the elite route participation what? at 65%. And then I've got to make one more like quick adjustment, like on his uh, touchdown percentage. All right, that's that's really close. All right, now half PPR. Like if I just at fifty percent, like we didn't make him like the lead back sixty sixty five percent. We just you know get half of it and let's get him to that sixty five percent range. Um, that knocks him all the way up in a PPR to seventeen point nine fantasy points oh my per God. game. <laughs> and there's room here, dude. I have his targets per route run at 21%. We just told oh, you wow. last year it was 26. So even if yeah. let's take that like the 24, right? That's re realistic. We're not even going to take it to the ceiling there. You take that to 24. I'm now at 19 PPR points per game. Yeah. That's a top five. I think we could argue there's still room for more from that ceiling. So, yeah. Well, you know, these top running backs who are, you know, the, the Swifts of the world and, and the and the Camaras of the world and the and the Ecklers like Eckler was like at what like thirty percent targets per route run last year or something close to it, if I'm not mistaken. Yeah, this was he, he yeah was, no this he was yeah James Cook was very near uh you know the league leaders like so he was right like in that right. ballpark but yeah you had Eckler at twenty eight percent last year McCaffrey twenty five percent yeah Brees Hall smaller sample twenty eight percent Ramondre twenty six percent so yeah he's right there we already talked about Swift twenty seven percent so he's right there yeah. with those leaders yeah there you go there you go this, it, I can't wait it's, he's gonna be a fun <laughs> player he's already a fun player to watch he he led his class in you know yards per touch coming in and trying to tie with Rashad White he was one of the best pass catchers to come out in that draft class so I'm I'm just and that's the other really part dude I'm glad you brought that up like what we saw in the limited sample. 
matched what we saw in yes. college, his strengths, exactly. right. As a receiver. And that, that is important when you get a player that did something in college and then they show it to you in the NFL, it makes it a little easier to digest that small sample size and say, you know, it probably is not a fluke because he was doing it in college too. Had he not done that in college. And then we get the small sample we had last year. He was only on the field for 21% of Josh Allen's passing plays. We might be like, you know, it's nice, but it could be a mirage. Yeah. It's probably not because of what you just mentioned. That's that's how he won in college, and now we're seeing it extrapolate to the NFL. That's a great point. Yeah, that's a great point. Now, I, I met I, I was bringing up Jonathan Taylor here, right? And he used to he was playing. He was coming off the yeah. field for Naheem Hines. Naheem Hines isn't there in Buffalo anymore. Now James Cook is going to do his thing. We brought it back to James Cook already. But <laughs> let's put Jonathan Taylor's contract situation aside for a second, right? Like let's let's just look at his football situation. He hasn't been a target earner, right, since joining the NFL. Of course, he had a like a very good receiving back with him. But even when he was running routes, he wasn't necessarily getting the targets, right? And last year, even after Hines got traded, you know, his his route participation did increase, but only 13% targets per route run last year. And now he has a mobile quarterback who in this instance, it might be fair to say that he'll be less likely to check it down to Taylor than the pocket quarterbacks he's had before potentially and there could be some vulturing goal line touchdowns here on an offense that might not score a whole lot of touchdowns this year right so do you look at the dynamic nature uh, of this talented rushing quarterback running back duo and like the open lanes that might be there for Jonathan Taylor that probably will be there for Jonathan Taylor how do you break down Taylor in this offense and, and what makes you still feel comfortable with him as a top 10 fantasy running back yeah, so with Taylor, like you brought up a, a lot of really good points. Like a big thing with him is just he is an elite talent as far as a yeah. runner, right? He's he's in that level with Nick Chubb. We have yep. a few guys in the league. Derek Henry's trying to hang on like to being in that group, but it's a very very small group of players that that play the position from a running standpoint as well as Jonathan Taylor, Nick Chubb. Derrick Henry, right? There are other guys that give us that dual threat ability where they're better like as an all-round back. And so I do think having Anthony Richardson hurts him in the passing game, but he wasn't over-reliant on that anyway. So I don't know how much that's really going to hurt. You mentioned his 13% targets per route run. The plus is last year he had a 65% route participation. And, you know, this gets rid of the games, you know, they didn't play, but that was elite. Right. So he's at least out there. And that's what I think will happen to Nick Chubb this year. He's going to be more like that 60, 65%. It's not going to mean 50 more targets. It might mean 15, right? It might mean right. 20. But, you know, running back catch rates are really high, like 75, 80%, right? They catch those balls because it's typically underneath the coverage. So if you can pick up 10 to 15 free receptions, like it's fine. Now, having said that, we have Anthony Richardson. He's going to be probably even less likely. I projected, uh, Jonathan Taylor, even though he was really low in targets per route run for even less this year, because okay. he's not a down the field target. He is truly a swing guy. He is. Everyone's covered. Hey, I'm over here. Throw it to me. If you're Gardner Minshew, that makes sense. If you're Anthony Richardson, you're, you're probably not doing it right. You're just going right. to go like, you're just going to house it. Like Justin Fields would do last year on those scramble plays for like 70 yards for touchdowns. Like that's what <laughs> Anthony Richardson is going to go try to do. So I think yeah. it does hurt him there, but here's the thing I really like about Taylor it's going to be a run-first offense. I do think this will be one of those teams that regardless of how the game is going, they're going to try to protect Anthony Richardson. They're going to try to win through efficiency through the air, and they're going to put everything through Richardson and Taylor 
on the ground. It won't surprise me if this is every year we get maybe a team that does this that actually runs the ball more than they throw it. And I don't just mean attempts. I mean drop back rate. Like their drop back rate might be lower than their rush attempt rate. I expect the efficiency to be there. Taylor's already a hyper-efficient player. Last year he was hurt, right? So it wasn't quite as good. He was still better than a lot of backs. But it won't surprise me if Jonathan Taylor averages six yards per carry this year. (laughs) Um, I was out on him earlier in the offseason because he was going like at the beginning of round two. And these factors were enough to be like, well, I think I like Nick Chubb more. Well, I think I like Tony Pollard more. But now, because of, you know, the fact that, you know, he's not off the pup yet, right? He's leaving the team for, you know, you know, these absences that he's had, right? We know there's really a contract squabble that's going on. Both sides seem to be kind of, well, the Colts are for sure playing hardball. He's falling. So now Jonathan Taylor, like I've been getting him in the middle of round three. I got him in the end of round three the other day. And at that point, I can't ignore him. I do still think RB1 overall is in his range of outcomes. He's just too good of a player to ignore it. And, and the way he would get there would be the, the way you open the show. He's in a run-heavy team where there's no other running back. Yes, Anthony Richardson's going to get his, but he still gets to 65. Jonathan Taylor still has a real shot to be at 65 to 70% of the carries. People will point to J.K. Dobbins and these other guys are like, look, these guys that play you know, with Lamar Jackson, et cetera, et cetera, while they're efficient, it doesn't usually work out, right? They can't overcome it enough to where that un- the efficiency and all those things don't unlock RB1 overall seasons. But the other part is those guys continue to share with another back, right? They got 25% going to Gus Edwards, right? Then you got Justice Hill, for whatever freaking reasons, got to be on the field for like another 10 to 15%. Then you got to right. share with Lamar Jackson. When I look at the Colts and I look at this depth chart, I can literally see it being like, 90% of the rushing attempts could go through Anthony Richardson and Jonathan Taylor, right? And then right. you got like 10% going to someone else, maybe 15%. So that's his path. It's a Derrick Henry path. The way you started the show, it's it's a big volume and a heavy run game. May only catch 40 balls, maybe 30. Might catch 30 balls this season and still has a chance to be the RB1 overall because of how many rushing attempts he gets. Okay, okay. And, and, and when you look at, you know, we mentioned a couple of these guys that where talent just straight up wins out, right? In these type of situations, sometimes when you're getting a heavy workload, what are those metrics that you look for in a running back, you know, when you want to determine if this running back is actually a good running back, right? Regardless of the opportunity opportunity that they get, are you looking at yards after contact? Are you looking at missed tackles force? What are those metrics that you're looking at to say like, okay, this running back is a really damn good running back based on what he did uh, in whatever sort of sample size you're looking at? Yeah, and what we're really trying to do, because yards per carry is not very sticky year over year, you're trying to find data points that have greater year over year uh, reliability and that we believe the running back owns this stat, right? Um, the offense It's always hard with running back because the offensive line is always a factor, right? Offensive line is a factor in explosive rush rate. But what I've generally found is the really good running backs find a way, right? They'll still get to that 11 12%. If they've got a great offensive line, like they'll pop off 18% of their 16, 17% of their carries for 10 plus yards. So that's a big one. I want that explosive play rate. That's the 10 plus yards carries divided by their total rushing attempts. Um, for, our, for our running back one, you typically see that around 11 to 12% based on the last 10 years of data. And then it slowly tears down as you go down to like tier three. But you get to look at a guy like Zeke. I'm not worried about Zeke with Ramondre. Why? 7% explosive rush rate last year. Like Zeke 
has shown for the last several years, like he doesn't deserve a bunch of extra touches, right? So Ramondre is going to lose a few touchdowns to him, but I'm not that worried about Zeke suddenly getting half the workload. Um, the next thing that I look at, I do look at PFF rushing grade, like um, because the whole job of that, when a PFF grader and not that everything can be perfect all the time, they're trying to isolate and tease out the player, right? From all their teammates. Did the player make the right decision? Did the player, were they additive to the play? Right. And so that's really big for running backs. Um, Cause I don't have time to watch every snap of every game and chart everything. I know some right. people like want to blow PFF up over that stuff. And I'm always like, well, great. Start a charting company and like, tell me <laughs> because like they're, and they're like, well, you know, PFS doesn't know what they're doing. Where do you guys think that PFF gets the ideas for how they grade these players and what they're looking for? They get it from the NFL. They get it. They they talk to these coaches. They talk to these scouts. They hire them. They hire these people to run their back-end process on how they're evaluating players. They don't just pull this stuff out of the air, right? They didn't just decide, oh, one day we're going to show up and say, this is what a good run looks like and this is a bad run just because like we just decided. No, there's a process they go through for this. So it may not always be perfect. You have different people grading different games. So there's always some room there, but it amazes me like how many people dismiss it. Um, and that's someone like, I don't work for PFF anymore. And if, if it didn't correlate and it didn't actually tie to fantasy points in any way, like I would just jettison. Like I would be like, ah, you don't need to worry about it. But that wasn't the case for me. Um, and then you already hit on the other things. Oh, well, missed tackles force per attempt is another one. It's not as huge as far as correlating to fantasy points, but it is a good indicator. We will see running backs that are starting to deteriorate. That That's some, a signal that we can start to look for, right? Is that going down for them? So for like Dalvin Cook, that hasn't gone down. I think he's a bigger problem for Brees Hall than Ezekiel Elliott is for Ramondre Stevenson because of those reasons. And then we already covered the, the receiving stuff. I look at PFF receiving grade. I look at their targets per route run. I look at their route participation. Have coaches trusted them? Do they want them on the field in passing situations? And there are different varieties of that, but like the biggest one is the two-minute offense. If the coaches want a player out there in the two-minute offense, that's their favorite receiving back on the team, right? right? And so that's a good leading indicator for these running backs as well. So those are all the things. And and I mentioned ADOT earlier. ADOT really more comes into, if I see a guy that had like a 27% targets per route run, like Ramondre is a good example last year. Ramondre was not really a plus a dot guy mm -hmm. he's at risk if the patriots add multiple good weapons that could hurt Ramondre in the receiving game now good news for everyone well i guess if you're a Ramondre person it's good news if you're a patriots fan maybe not so much they didn't add anyone <laughs> like there's no one like there's no one that were like oh my god look what they added mike gasecki like okay great like they added juju smith schuster who eh, has not been good for multiple years so Ramondre is probably really safe this year but if they had justin jefferson on their team Right? right. And they had CD lamb. Like if they had like uh Jamar chase and T Higgins, like there would be risk there for Ramondre because a dot really does help you predict when players can be stickier over year. Cause that keeps them integrated in the passing game in a way that they can continue to earn those targets. Yeah. And you mentioned uh two minute offense versus the, you know, third and longs and that sort of thing. And it just makes me think of the uh, Najee Harris, Jalen Warren situation where Jalen Warren was yes. their passing down back, but then they bring on Najee in the two minute situations. Right. Yep. So I'm really curious to see you know, what that backfield is going to turn into, but uh, that, 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 that's a side point now. And, and I think, you know, for those wondering why yards after cons yards, yards 
per carry might not be a whole uh, a big thing. It's like you mentioned that it's not as sticky year over year. But I, I would say that, you know, I think that's, you know, obviously a more of a combination of like the running back, the the offensive line, yes. the scheme. Um, now, if you look at, you know, a running back who's going into the same exact situation as the year before, same coaches, same scheme, you know, maybe an upgrade offensive line, like it could be a data point that you look at and say like, oh, well, you know, like look at what he did with this inferior offensive line in the same exact scheme with the same coaches, you know, you could say that that player, like look at Khalil Herbert, who had a very high yard per carry last year, that zone scheme is relatively the same. Offensive line might have even improved. And now he's, you know, probably, I would say definitely going to be part of whatever sort of committee they end up having. Uh, and I think that is a little bit of a useful piece of information, you know, just knowing well, that you can, can use- thrive in that scheme. Yeah, you can use those other components, right? The explosive rush rate, yards after contact, missed tackles forced as a way. Because, like, naturally, I regress players for yards uh, per carry, right? Just because historically it just shows, like, that you do that. But I get to players like Nick Chubb. I can't give him 4.3 yards per carry. I can't. Like, (laughs) I have to give him closer to five. One, he's done it almost every year in his career. And then I look at these underlying data points and I say, no, Nick Chubb's really good on his own. So I'm fine giving him this yards per carry. So like 70, 80% of the backs, basically I'm regressing to the league average or up to the league average, right? Guys that have not been as good. But if I get a player that like they've had multiple years where they're still really good in all these underlying metrics, then I don't feel bad about giving them, you know, not regressing them to the league average. I actually might give them their three-year average. There's different factors and like it's like almost like this little venn diagram with like the way the model works but essentially in a nutshell it's like nick chubb had five yards per carry last year he checks all three of these boxes fine give him five yards per carry right or we might take it to 4.8 whereas if someone else is like oh man 4.7 yards per carry they didn't check any of these boxes 4.3 yards per carry like that's what you're getting in the model so it's it's uh you use them you use them together right is the way i think right Right, right. Now, let's move on to wide receivers. And I think for wide receivers, you know, the typical stuff that we look at, target share, air yard share, you know, maybe two of the one of the, two of the primary metrics we look at to determine, you know, their value in addition to the talent level, obviously. But, you know, we do usually see target share and talent level somewhat correlated for the most part. You know, what are the thresholds you look for in whether a receiver has top 12 or top 24 potential? Yeah, well, just real quick off the top, like, Wide receivers, running backs can come through without talent, right? Volume can get you there. Talent, like, can make it pop off, right? Now, they they can't earn a lot of targets as running backs without being super talented. But you know how this goes. Like, if you have 10 people, their job is to block for you, and you turn around, you hand the ball to me or you, like, we're, we might get a yard. We may die. We're not saying we're <laughs> NFL players, right? But receivers, it's the opposite. You and I can go out there today and run – 500 routes against an NFL defensive back. And we probably couldn't get targeted one time. Maybe you could, I couldn't, right? I can't. Um, (laughs) So (laughs) it's truly a talent driven position. And the quarterback has to trust you. If the quarterback doesn't trust you to understand, it's not just physical, it's mental. You're facing man coverage, man off coverage, zone coverage, help coverage, multiple types of zone coverages, uh, and defensive coordinators are very smart. They have modifiers and all these coverages that make linebackers do different things to confuse, you know, uh, the, the, the quarterback, if you guys play Madden, like you'll see, think the simplest terms, like you get, you know, a linebacker, you know, or a safety that's lurking, right. 
based the way the progression is going to take the quarterback and he thinks he's got the clean throw and then boom, why is that linebacker there? Like he shouldn't have been there and I get picked off. So there's not just physical, there is the trust. You have to be strong mentally. You have to be someone that really studies your playbook. You have to be completely dedicated a thousand gazillion percent to be a good receiver in the NFL, especially consistently, right? We see some guys flash here and there. So I, I love, you know, this question, but the biggest parts Air yards and targets. Those two things correlate the most to future fantasy points, and they're the two most sticky things we have. So I look at air yard share. I'm looking at target shares. Those are the biggest things. There are some other things like PFF receiving grade also matters here, especially for rookies. Like if a rookie gets in an 80 PFF receiving grade or more, like historically, like you can almost lock it up. Like this person's going to go bonkers, like at some point. So PFF is still part of it. Uh, yards per route run correlates very closely to PFF receiving grades. So if you don't have access to PFF receiving grades, you don't want to pay the sub yards per route run as a data point. You can pretty much find on most sites nowadays, and it correlates very closely uh, to the PFF receiving grade. So you can use either one of those things. Um, but what you're looking for, this is how I write out my tiers over at fantasy life. People can check them out. Fantasylife.com. Like each receiver, you'll see target earning profile, wide receiver one worthy. So the three-year average to be a target a wide receiver one worthy target earner is 25%. A wide receiver two is 22%. A wide receiver three is 20%. And then essentially I'm looking at the player and I'm like, okay, has this player hit those thresholds? Are they close to them? Have they hit it two out of the last three years? All that kind of stuff. Air yard share. 31% of your team's air yards is a wide receiver one worthy mark going back the last three years. 28% as a wide receiver two, 27% as a wide receiver three. So for if you read Justin Jefferson's profile, you'll start off the number one bullet, target earning profile, wide receiver one worthy target earner, wide receiver one worthy air yards. And air yards matter because we do occasionally get slot receivers and players that play, the league plays mostly zone. 70% of coverage is a zone coverage. And most often the way to beat zone, except in specific situations where they want to take away throws against short of the sticks you're going to beat the zone by, by beating the underneath coverage. And so slot receivers can pop up and they can have these really great target shares. But what will happen is their air yard shares are not great. And typically as your air yard share goes down, the less chance you have to hit big plays. That also means you're less likely to score touchdowns. So we really want wide receivers that can earn a lot of targets and that they also get their air yards. Like, so rule of thumb, if you get a player that flashes like a 24, 25% target share or targets per route run with at least 250 routes. And they're at a 14 to 15 plus a dot. You probably have a superstar on your hands. This is a Chris Olave blurb. Right. <laughs> Chris Olave <laughs> like did both of those things last year. I hear people talk about how he's got a limited skill set. Those people have lost their mind. Chris Olave can win <laughs> at every single level of the field. Yeah. He's not a physical receiver like George Pickens. That's not how he wins but he wins in way more ways than George Pickens. And guess what? His quarterbacks tell you that because his quarterbacks would not throw in the ball as much as they did last year if he couldn't do all of those things. So that's the big stuff you're looking for. And like, and then again, there's that third component. So since some people may not have PFF receiving grades, I'll use yards per route run. Real quick, wide receiver one is 2.28, wide receiver two, 1.92, and then wide receiver three is 1.78. Small caveat on this one. If you're playing in an offense that mostly uses two wide receivers, that number naturally gets inflated. Also, your quarterback play can impact yards per route run. Think about it. Earning a target is the receiver. The receiver goes out and does everything they need to do. Quarterback says yes, throws it to them. 
yards per route run, if that pass is not accurate, if that pass is late, if that pass is too early, you can't get as many yards off of it. So it brings your yards per route run down, right? If you have a tight end on the field with you blocking and a fullback blocking in 21 personnel, and you're one of the two wide receivers, you're more likely to get a target than if you are in a three wide receiver set with another wide receiver in the slot. Oh, by the way, when you go to a three wide receiver set, you're also more likely that your team is throwing the ball, right? right. So those are just some other quick factors, but that's the, the three biggest things and the two biggest by far are target share and air yard share. Yeah, and Amon Ross St. Brown, you know, somebody who is going to be earning a very, very high target share, but the air yard share is going to be a question, right? And that was something that, you know, you have to consider when you're ranking these guys. You know, you have, you know, near that bottom, you know, eight to 11 guys, you know, you have guys like, uh, you know, Garrett Wilson, right? Who my guess would, you know, he might have a, as high of a target share as Amon Ra, but then he might have a, a, a much higher air yard share, right? Um, so, you know those things that you consider when you rank when you're ranking you know guys like Amon Ra compared to guys like him you know Gary Wilson Chris Olave you know and and those guys and just just curious to to hear you know what your totem pole might be in terms of you know Amon Ra is going to be that dude this year no doubt about it ton of receptions but is he going to have the enough air yards to potentially surpass both of those guys this year yeah and that will be the tricky part for him um and that's why like I can't get him up to the very, very top range. Now, having said that, the other thing we're looking for, like is explosive target rate. Like it's not like one of the primaries that super correlates super high to fantasy points. It's more of the context though, right? Can the player yeah. do it? Like when you look at a Monra's 5.1 yards after contacts, pretty good for his a dot. You look at his explosive target rate, 30% of his 30% of his targets went for turned into a reception of 15 plus yards or more. That's below of all the top wide receivers. Like it's that's above Justin Jefferson, right? right. That's above Tyreek Hill. It's above Stefan Diggs. It's above AJ Brown. And this is something he also did as a rookie. So some guys just have this ability, even though they're getting targeted more underneath, they're just really good with the ball in their hands. Like once it once it happens. Now, what I will say is that skill set can deteriorate, right? They may in three or four years from now, it could be a problem for Monroe, right? He might still be a great target earner. But can he still get all those yards after catch? That's something that does go away with age. Keenan Allen's a great example. Like back in the day, Keenan would give you a lot of yak yardage on that underneath stuff, and it helped offset the fact that the A dot was low. Keenan's still fine, but you know he's not going to be a wide receiver one, right? He's probably going to be a good wide receiver two, going to give you a lot of targets, give you a lot of catches, not going to score a ton of touchdowns. So early in their career with a guy like Amon Ra, I'm, I'm willing to give him just a little bit more leeway because he is such an alpha target earner. So now we mentioned this this kind of tier here, right? Uh, you know that you know low end wide receiver one, high end wide receiver two. Jalen Waddle, you know, is an example of an extremely talented wide receiver. You know, who's running next to another extremely talented elite wide receiver, right? And Waddle showed that he's an elite target, elite level target earner his rookie year. But in year two, you know, even when you look at just the games with Tua, the target share wasn't really in that elite category, right? It was even it was even under that wide receiver three level. He earned a 20% target share last year. Ridiculous 2.59 yards per route run, extremely efficient. Now, do you think that target share significantly needs to return, like needs to increase for him to return on his ADP? Do you think he can continue to be as efficient in this offense the way that he was last year? I mean, I'm looking at Fantasy Life data right now, 44% of his targets went for an explosive play. Like this dude's a beast, right? But I don't know. Like, 
can I take him over someone like Chris Olave again, right? Like who he's, you know, Waddle's going ahead of Olave in underdog drafts right now. And Olave is just checking all the utilization boxes and he has a talent profile as well. Yeah. Waddle, I'm a little worried about it. AEP. I still love the player. This is a very talented player. So he's going to have outs no matter what. There's different ways he could get there. But you picked out the perfect data point. That's not sustainable. 44% of your targets going for 15 plus yards. No matter how good you are, that's a really tough thing to do year over year. Um, so I would expect that to come down. Now, he could remain a decent yak player because we've seen Debo like do that, right? In that scheme. We've seen other guys in this Kyle Shanahan scheme, which is what Mike McDaniel uses with heavy play action, creates more uh, you know, space for the wide receivers. A play action target is worth 20% more approximately than a non-play action target over the last three years in a PPR format. It matters because you're getting the ball to the player, especially when it's a player like this in space, and they can maximize that opportunity just by that little pause that you create for the linebacker and zone coverage, and you get Waddle just in behind them, and then the safety has just got a little bit of a weird angle, and it does create some of these big plays that you don't get in other schemes. So I don't want to say that it's going to completely go away, but I do think you have to regress that number. Now, the positive is you mentioned he was already a really good target earner as a rookie. So it wouldn't surprise me if he earned a 22, 23% target share this year and Tyreek Hill came down a little bit, right? Last year, Tyreek Hill was 29%, 29% target share, which think of all the years we saw Tyreek Hill with Patrick Mahomes. He never sniffed that. Right. And Travis Kelsey never had a year like what Tyreek, like what, or sorry, thinking about Waddle. Travis Kelsey never had a year like that, you know, with Tyreek Hill, yet he still had his biggest year last year. So there's room for both of these guys because they're talented. But I will tell you, like, you're also naming the perfect player. Like, I've teetered back and forth with Waddle versus Alave, like, and which one should be, like, first in my ranks. My gut tells me is that Chris Alave is the better all-around wide receiver. But we also have to fact, Jalen Waddle's now shown us two years in a row in different ways. He He can be a wide receiver one. And so it's really hard to ignore that. This is a guy that's just found a way to morph into whatever he needs to be because he's super talented to get the job done for you. But, but I am a little bit worried about Waddle at ADP. That's a, that's a great point. Like the point that you made about him doing, doing what he needs to do in different ways, but still like killing it for you in fantasy. You know, that that's a, that's a, something that I didn't really consider. And if he puts both of those pieces of the game of his game together this season, then he could potentially even have a better year this yeah, year. What if Tyreek um, Hill went down, knock on wood? We don't want this to happen to any players. What if Tyreek Hill right. missed the second half of the season and Jalen Waddle's fully healthy? Like Monster. Monster. Could be the wide receiver one overall. Yeah. He could be exactly he it could basically be if you're in best ball mania and you don't have Jalen Waddle, bye. Lights out. Like so Oh yeah. You know, yeah. So. No, I totally get that. Now, and, you know, you mentioned Debo Samuel. I wanted to bring up Brandon Ayuk and the disparity between these two guys at ADP. You know, Ayuk, you know, in my opinion, like I think he has a talent profile to be a wide receiver one, an alpha wide receiver one. Like I think about Stefan Diggs, you know, moving from Minnesota to Buffalo. That's, that's really what I think about when I think about Brandon Ayuk. But, you know, obviously loaded offense, right? Christian McCaffrey, he's going to eat. You know, Debo, you got George Kittle. And, you know, we'll see if – you know, I use target share can increase, but do you ever buy into these type of wide receivers who have the talent profile? And, you know, maybe I'm overstating the talent profile a little bit, you know, maybe, but 
do you ever buy into these type of wide receivers who can take a big step forward because of the talent in case their target share ends up matching with their talent level? Or do you just make or do you just think that is a big assumption to be made? And I'm not talking about a big assumption of the talent side, but a big assumption that target share can move in a significant way for someone like Ayuk to get, you know, maybe 25% target share that he would get if he was on another offense or if Debo wasn't there, right? Um, and so that's kind of what I'm wondering, right? Debo, yeah. you know, can he have a similar target share? You know, he doesn't have the air yard share. So, like, Debo's going off the board as a wide receiver 18. Ayuka's going off the board as a wide receiver 27 right now. H- how, do you, how do you discern those two things? Yeah, so a couple things. Number one, I'm on the same page with you as far as Ayuk and his talent profile. I do believe, like, if he played on a pass-first offense, you know, with a good quarterback, we would be talking about a wide receiver one. Now, this is another little piece of context that comes in. Technically, Ayuk does not meet like the thresholds I gave you earlier, but there are caveats to that. Like when you play with Debo Samuel, George Kittle and Christian McCaffrey, (laughs) like it's just like when we see these really good receivers come out of great programs in college and you'll see some people, well, they never hit these thresholds. And like, dude, you try to hit those thresholds playing next to those (laughs) receivers in college. Like it's not, it's not easy. Oh, you didn't break out early. Well, no crap because it's a loaded freaking receiver room. So you have to account those things. But I think when you, what, when you just turn on the film with Ayuk and when you look at his underlying data and once you account for those things, it's very clear that he is an excellent, excellent wide receiver. The weird thing that happens in this offense, and you don't normally get a trend this strong at this level, but it's just that Debo Samuel gets the targets against zone and the league plays 70% zone coverage. Here are the targets per route run over the last three years for Debo Samuel and then I will list Brandon Ayuk second. And I'm going to start in 2020. I'm going to work my way to 2022. Debo Samuel, 28% targets per route run versus zone. Brandon Ayuk, 20%. The next year, Debo Samuel, 27% targets per route run against zone. Brandon Ayuk, 17%. Last season, Debo Samuel, 26% targets per route run, 19% for Brandon Ayuk. That's a major challenge. But I don't think it's going to change because that's what that's the exact role that Kyle Shanahan had in mind when he drafted Debo and then when he paid Debo. He's basically saying, guys, you want to run all this off all, all this off coverage. We're going to hit Debo quick, and he's just going to destroy you like a running back out there against a cornerback. You don't even have your best guys to tackle my dude. All right. And so it's a major problem. Oh, you want to go man coverage? Single high, you want to blitz me on the backside of that screen, I'm going to have Brandon Ayuk running a slant route. So we get the flip when it goes to man. Targets per route run starting in 2020. It was closer. Ayuk was a rookie, 23%, Debo 24%. But then the last two years, Ayuk 21%, over 18% for Debo. And last year, Ayuk absolutely took off. 26% targets per route run versus man, 15% for Debo. And think about it. Like people, if you play Madden, you come out, you're running your screen pass to your wide receiver. You got to press cornerback on the line of scrimmage. If your dude doesn't get his block, that can be a pick six the other way. What are you doing? You're going to your backside read. Even you guys know that you're just playing a, a video game. You know that. Well, that's what the quarterback's doing for the 49ers. They come up, they see that coverage. This plays Ayuk. This plays Debo. The big problem is 70% of coverage is zone. 30% man, right? So you do get occasional weeks. This is where you can get a DFS cheat code on Brandon Ayuk, where we get some teams that in a year, they'll play like the Patriots will do this when they have the personnel to do it. 
they'll run man coverage 65% of the time. You get a game like that, you got to light Brandon Ayuk up. Like you right. got to get him in your lineup in DFS and you're going to you're going to fade Debo Samuel. So that that's the biggest challenge. And then also the fact that we've got CMC that's going to get a 15 to 20% target share and we've got George Kittle who's also going to demand targets. So those are the challenges for Ayuk, but final thing I'll say here, you still want to be drafting talents like this because once the season starts, weird stuff happens. Debo Samuel gets hurt. Suddenly, Kyle Shanahan, for whatever reason, we can't predict, decides he's not going to follow the trend I just gave you for the last three years. Like, yeah. that's a possibility. It could happen, right? Uh, George Kittle goes down. CMC, go, there, there's a lot. All of a sudden, the 49ers decide, man, look what these guys down in Florida are doing that run in our offense. They're getting all the same results, but they don't run the ball as much. Maybe I don't need to run the ball as much. Maybe that's a realization Kyle Shanahan has. I think he should get away from running the ball as much. You can still get all the same effects from play action, and you can get the ball into your playmaker's hands more often. And then that would open up more room for Ayuk to make more noise on like a 21% target share. He's going to have a really tough time, though, uncorking a 25 26 27% without multiple events going his way. Probably needs an injury to a teammate, needs the team to throw the ball more. There's a lot of things that have to happen, but – you can never say never. Talent is the number one driver. I think mid-round five is fine for Ayuk. Yeah. I will tell you, I take Deontay Johnson before him quite a quite a bit yeah. because I feel like Makes Deontay sense. could have 150 targets, right? Yeah. So exactly, exactly. And you can even get Deontay later sometimes, which is which is bananas. Um, now, a, a wide receiver who is going to that range, Jerry Judy. Okay, him and Cortland Sutton had almost identical target share last year in their games played together. Mike Clay put out a tweet, 23% target share for Judy, 22% target share for Sutton in the 10 games that they played together. Now, Judy's currently going at the 3-4 turn in underdog drafts, and you know many are calling for a true breakout upcoming year for him, you know, with Sean Payton coming in, maybe, you know, Russell Wilson can go back to the player that he was. And, you know, I'm not, I'm also not saying that, you know, Sutton needs to be a target, but, you know, he, he was targeted five times uh, compared to Judy's three and less routes run in his first preseason game, uh, which is kind of in line in camp reports that, you know, Sutton has been favored by Russell Wilson. And obviously, you know, one, it's not even a one game sample size. It's like a couple of drives worth of sample size, but I'm looking at the guys going around him. You know, he's going between Keenan Allen and Christian Watson as the wide receiver 20 off the board. You know, with the target share being so close between these guys last year in the games that they played together, you know, should we be that confident that Judy, you know, should be the guy taking it as, you know, someone in that range compared to Sutton, who's going off the board as a wide receiver 46? And that's been rising, by the way. You know, he was being taken off the board way, way, way later than that, you know, before, you know, recent reports. How are you looking at this, man? Like, do you think Judy is worth that pick? And do you think that the target share is going to magically, you know, separate itself a little bit more this year? Yeah, I do think Judy's worth it, but I don't think this is an either or thing. I, these are both players I want to have exposure to, but I am more in on Judy. And I do, I agree with his ADP. So the splits that I look at with a player like Judy that's been injured off and on so much. Like I really like to look at the games where they're healthy. Right. right. And so last year in the games where Judy truly was ready to rock with Russ, 23% target share. So remember that's right on that verge of that wide receiver one range, 30% right. air yard share. Remember our threshold earlier for a wide receiver one was 31%, 16.1 PPR points per game. That actually is a wide receiver one threshold since 2011. 
and 13.4 half PPR points per game. So that's a wide receiver two with wide receiver one upside. I really believe with Judy, he's been a very unfortunate with, with, uh, you know, injuries over the course of his career. Now, other people I really respect in the industry. I went on a pod with Matt Harmon a couple of weeks ago and he invited someone to come on and debate wide receivers. I'm like, dude, like I'm just like the lamb for, to the slaughter, right? Like I'm coming <laughs> in to hang out with Matt Harmon. We're going to debate, you know, wide receivers. Right, he brought right. up really good points, you know, and he just talked about the fact that Judy's been really good against man, but he struggled against zone. But when I looked at the targets per route run data, right? And again, with a player that's been hurt and on and off the field, like you got to really dig into that stuff. Like Judy's been okay. Like he's still been like right around wide receiver two marks, even against zone coverage. So I do like him. I think there's a ceiling that's there with Judy that I don't think is there with Sutton. I could be wrong, but that's just based again, following the data, right? Not trying to just mm-hmm. make any assumptions on my own, just following the information. Judy's also still earlier in his career. Sutton's later in his career. Also to be fair to Sutton is a player that's battled his own injuries, <laughs> right? Yeah. Off and on. We did see that small flash in year two, and then we haven't seen it since, but he's battled some things. So I like drafting both of these guys where they go today. Like if I have to pick in a vacuum, the one I think has the better profile, I do think it's Jerry Judy. Um, I think you could make an argument like, should they really be that far apart? However, what I would say is I don't think it means Jerry Judy needs to come down. It probably means maybe Cortland Sutton should go in like that round seven range where we see guys like George Pickens go, where we see guys like Jahan Dotson go. We're leaning into them because they're younger and they might have a gear, right, that we haven't seen yet from Sutton. Right. But I wouldn't completely rule it out. Like Sutton's not it's not like he's a 10-year vet, right? This is a guy that, you know, he still might have a little more than what we think left. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. At Mint Mobile, we like to do the opposite of what Big Wireless does. They charge you a lot, we charge you a little. So naturally, when they announced they'd be raising their prices due to inflation, we decided to deflate our prices due to not hating you. That's right. We're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Knowing how to speak and understand a new language can be an invaluable tool when traveling, meeting new friends, or just even to master a new skill. But it's not always simple when you're bogged down by textbooks and structure classes. That's why so many people trust Rosetta Stone. Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program available on desktop or as an app. It truly immerses you in the language you want to learn, like Spanish, French, Italian, Chinese, and more. You won't just be studying English translations. The Rosetta Stone intuitive process helps you pick up a language naturally, first with words, then phrases, then sentences. Don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com rs10. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com rs10 today. I hear that, man. All right, let's move on to tight ends now. Now, unlike starting wide receivers, most tight ends aren't running around on nearly as many dropbacks. So as you made clear, multiple times route participation is a pretty important utilization metric to be aware of for the tight end position so two questions there um do targets usually catch up to route participation if they aren't there for example should we be buying low on a tight end who has how who has high route participation but just hasn't seen the targets for two weeks in a row 
And the related question is, what is the threshold you want to see for a tight end to be startable? You know, maybe you can go, you know, through the range of guys like Kelsey, Andrews, Hawkinson, and then compare it to like fringe tight end, tight end ones or or high end tight end twos. Yeah, really, really good questions. Um, So that that threshold for tart for yards per route run, we want that 80 percent, right? We can live on 70 percent if it's an uber, uber talented tight end. But 80%, historically speaking, when you get to that range, it's kind of hard to not be a top 12 tight end. And at worst, you're probably going to be a high-end tight end too. Now, talent still comes in. So your targets per route run do not always follow that route participation. Pretty decent amount they do because teams know, like if they're going to put their tight end into a route, like, you know, for the most part, like they know that's probably one of their better receivers. And so it will follow to an extent, but where I get real careful with it, there are times where I'll see a, a first few years of the season, there'll be a tight end. I'm like, wow, man, 80% route participation. But then I'm like, oh, their college profile. They didn't earn targets. Their rookie year. They didn't earn targets. I'm just kind of like, I'm, I'm kind of talking about Cole Komet, <laughs> you know, <laughs> and I'm like, uh, yeah, I don't know. Like I, maybe. And he did like, he ended up being like that borderline tight end one. Like when that happened that right. year, but there wasn't a ton of upside that was still there. Now, if you get a player that you know you have seen be a really good target earner in college, and then they do it, you know, early in their NFL career, and now suddenly they get that eighty percent, that's when you get a Travis Kelsey. Um, so Kyle Pitts is the example here. Arthur Smith, can we just not outsmart ourselves? Can we just keep Kyle Pitts on the field for 85 percent route participation? We have guys like you know the, the best guys in the league might see ninety percent. Right. TJ Hawkinson battled this stuff early in his early in his career, not yeah. quite being out there enough. So you got to you got to get on the field enough, but you still need to be able to earn those targets. And but if you've got some leading indicators, yes, typically the targets are going to follow along and it can be a way that you can go make trades in your league for guys that maybe are underperforming, but, you know, they have the talent and they're on the field. Um, and it can be a sell high moment for you, right? It can be someone that's just out here with a 60% route participation. And you're like, this ain't going to last. This dude can't keep getting all these yards. Now coaches could always change their mind around that player and suddenly give them more work later in the season. So you got to be careful again. That's where that whole profile comes in. But if it's a flash in the pan, like this person came out of nowhere, you're like, they weren't good in college. Haven't been good before now only playing 60% of the routes, but I picked them up after week one and they've scored a touchdown three weeks in a row and they've got like right. 60 yards a game. I'm trading that player. Like I'm exactly. moving on from that player. I I could still be wrong, but probabilities say I'm going to be right. And then the flip-flop is also true, like as far as buying those guys. But yeah, when you like look at like tearing them out, um, like the, the, the top target earners at the tight end position, not quite as high as what you see at wide receiver. Our expectations are a little lower. So 21%. Remember tight end, or sorry, wide receiver was 25. Now I break these down. I don't do tight end one versus tight end two because who wants to start a tight end two? I actually break of the course. tight end ones down into four buckets. Tight ends one through three, tight ends four through six, tight ends seven through nine, and tight end tens through 12. So we're talking about all tight end ones, but you know the different ranges of a tight end one skill set. So 21% is typically your tight end ones to three, 19% target share four to six, 17% seven to nine, and then tight end 10 to 12 is a 15% target share. So like your Dalton Schultz's of the world are like in that seven to nine, 10 to 12, your Travis Kelsey's, your Kyle Pitts. Notice I mentioned Kyle Pitts again, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, your Mark Andrews, they're up there in that top bucket, 
And in fact, right. like they're above that. Those guys are actually above that. And then air yards also still matter, but like your thresholds come down for tight ends, 22% for the best guys all the way down to like your tight end 10 to 12s, they're 14%. And then obviously your other two buckets are in the middle. So if we're looking at guys like Chico Conquo last year and mm-hmm. to a much lesser extent, Jake Ferguson, who actually had a pretty respectable yards per route run on an extremely, yeah. extremely small sample size, right? Oconquo first in yards per route run among all tight ends, right? Last year, Ferguson was up there. You know, you have these guys who are going to, who are going to move way up in route participation, right? The Titans losing Austin Hooper, Cowboys lost Dalton Schultz, you know, like, Jake Ferguson's obviously like super late round, last round pick, you know, probably waiver wire ad. But these guys, you know, are these guys going to be on your radar because of the fact that they're going to be moving way up in routes? Oconco middle rounds, right? You know, so this is more so leaning towards a question of, you know, there are talent factors or efficiency metrics that you look for in the tight end position, you know, when they end up getting more opportunity and running more routes, right? Yes, for sure. So Ferguson's a name to know. Like it could be a rotation. We don't know. But he did flash. It was on a small sample. You already clarified it. But the way I think about it, even so, just so people know, a lot of these metrics, there are different points where they stabilize. But like as a rule of thumb, between 200 and 250 routes, that's where a lot of this stuff stabilizes. And you can say, oh, okay, that's probably a decent indicator of like how good the player is, right? Under that, it's kind of like the Wild Wild West. But I will still use it because you're splitting hairs between other guys. And my thought is, well, may have been a small sample, but at least he showed it. <laughs> and these right. other guys on their small sample, they didn't show me anything. So doesn't always work out, right? Those things can be hits. They can be misses. But with Chig, man, you you nailed it. 26% targets per route run, uh, 2.61 yards per route run. That's freaking fantastic for a tight end. 1.7% of his receptions went for touchdowns. That's probably going to come down. That's probably going to be more like 1%. They also used him a lot in the screen game last year. That's kind of a big indicator when your team is like, we're going to treat you like Debo. That says there's something special about your skill set. Some people look at that negatively and they're like, oh man, that can't scale. And I'm like, okay, but if he runs more routes and let's say on his normal routes, he gets 18, 20% targets per route run. And then he also gets like these extra 10 to 15 plays where they're just going to design something for him. Like they do Debo. Like, I think that, can still be a plus, right, for him. So right. when I look at Chig, I really like him. I think he can win on efficiency. Uh, if you look at what's happened since DeAndre Hopkins has joined the team, like his ADP has plummeted. Like I actually like my, I like drafting Chig more now yeah. than before because Chig before, like it was pretty aggressive. Like it was like round 11. You had to get yeah. in the, you had to jump in the boat with Chig. And, and, and there were good things I was drafting in there. But now, actually, it was, he might have got up to round 10. I can't remember for us. But like now, like there, there are drafts where people just completely ignore him. I'll get him like 20 picks past ADP. And I'm right. like, okay, guys, like 100%. I don't think this guy, yeah, th- th- he's still too good to be passing that late. His profile checks all the boxes of being a future elite tight end one, right? It may not happen, but probabilities are when you see a player like this, they're the better bet than players that don't have these sort of metrics. Exactly. I love it. I love it. Okay. Now, is this going to be the year of the rookie tight end, Dwayne? We have three potential rookie tight ends who could have tight end one level or high end tight end one level participation, right? You got Dalton Kincaid potentially, Sam Laporta, Luke Musgrave. Can all three of these guys potentially finish as fantasy tight end ones this year? Like, and while you're answering that, can you explain why fantasy tight ends? usually don't have big fantasy seasons during their rookie season. 
Yeah, this is something that, you know, and, and overall is right. Like you will hear people say, hey, rookie tight ends pretty much stink for fantasy, right? So anytime I hear something like that, and it's true, you can go back and look. Number one, you go look, you're like, yep, it's true. They're, they're usually not very good. But I started to look into like, well, okay, like why? Like, why is that? Um, and what I found digging deeper in, there was a couple of things. The reason we don't see tight ends in their rookie season typically succeed is not because they can't earn targets. If they showed us that in college, if they did, weren't any good in that in college, they can't just suddenly typically become good in that NFL. But like Sam Laporta, let's take him as an example. Really good target earner in college, broke out early, all the metrics we want to see despite playing on a terrible passing offense. This offense was like one of the worst you've ever seen. Like I, I could hardly stomach as good as Laporta is. I could hardly stomach watching it because the quarterback like was just <laughs> so terrible. Um, sorry, Iowa fans. Let's, let's look. You guys know you have the tight end. You so just take your victory there. You've got George right. Kittle. You've got Laporta. You got Dallas Clark. You got Noah Fant. We can, like go on and on. You you have all the elite tight ends. But the biggest thing is that playing time. And if you do look at the last two rookies that at least got to a seventy five percent route participation, Kyle Pitts and Evan Ingram, they both finished. They both finished as tight end ones. Those were guys that showed target pedigree in college. They got the early round draft capital. And then they got playing time in their rookie year. When I look at Laporta, go look at the Lions depth chart. For us, like you pay attention to this. This is your job. Can you even name another tight end on the Lions depth chart? Uh Brock Wright got hurt, didn't he? Uh Brock Wright's still there, but Oh, he's still there. Oh, was that the other guy? That was uh, it. I yeah, think that Zilstra. Was Zilstra. Zilstra got hurt. That's right. Most people can't do that. And you can probably only do it because we make funny jokes in our community of, oh, well, he can block right. <laughs> that's all. <laughs> that's all. That's, that's all. That's all. What we about got the though? Packers? Can you name another tight end behind Luke Musgrave? Uh, the dude that they're, the other dude that they drafted. The draft. <laughs> yeah. Craft. Yeah. <laughs> yeah so Kraft, you're actually right. doing way better than like normal person on the street would do. <laughs> but the point being is like, there's nothing standing in these guys' way. Right. right. In the in the case of Musgrave, it's another rookie who they took later, right? In the case of you know Laporta, it's someone that they really don't want on the field. It's going to be tougher for Michael Mayer. Austin Hooper is just enough yeah. of a challenge, right? That's and, all and you he need. Did, he he did that to Chig last year, so he could definitely yes. do it to Austin. He he could do it to uh, to Mayer this year. Dalton Kincaid, I love, but he will need to play the slot because Dawson Knox is good enough. And he, he's not really good. Dawson Knox is not a tight end I really want to target. He's not a target earner. He's not no. like he doesn't check the boxes for me other than the, the offense he plays in. But he's good enough to keep a player like Dalton Kincaid off the field. Kincaid's very dependent on them either using him in the slot or running a ton of 12 personnel. So right. there's risk. Now, the reward is he probably has the biggest upside. If they do those things, right. he might be the second best target on an offense with a great quarterback that wants to throw all the time. But I do think that this year we see at least one tight end in the top 12, maybe two. I think at a minimum, you're going to have another one pushing like to be in the top 12. Maybe they're in that 13, 14, 15 range, but I think everything is just lined up. These guys were good target earners in college. Musgrave really wasn't, but he wins in a different way. He, yeah. he, he wins via the big dot plays. So he doesn't need as many targets to pay off his, you know, uh, to, to actually get there for what he needs for fantasy. Because like he was 85th percentile average depth of target going back to 2014 for college tight ends. Like this guy, like he's a seam stretcher. That's going to give him an opportunity to score long touchdowns. He's probably going to be a big part of their red zone package. He's going to get touchdowns there as well. So their paths are a little different, 
But I anticipate Laporta and Musgrave getting to 80% route participation in the rookie season. Musgrave did it week one of the preseason. He hit 80% exactly with the starters. And then Laporta was at 100% over the first two drives with the Lions. So I think uh, it's one preseason game, guys. Like I'm not saying it's everything, but it lines (laughs) up with what the beat reporters for both teams have been telling us all offseason, which is that these guys are going to be the starting, the undisputed tight end ones for their teams. All right, right, Dwayne, last question. Okay, let's go there. Okay, Kyle Pitts. Let's go there. Right? There is the offensive environment in Atlanta that is a concern, but let's talk about the player. Okay, do you believe that Kyle Pitts has overall tight end one capability at some point? And if so, maybe this year. You know, what are the factors you're looking at to determine that, and why do those factors matter? Yes, he has the talent profile. I'm a believer that it's only if, you know, uh, not if, but when for Kyle Pitts for a tight end one overall season, right? I think it's definitely in his range of outcomes. Top three season. Uh, he's a top three tight end in the league right now, as far as metrics that correlate super highly, right? To all the things we've been talking about. So if you look at his uh, targets per route run, 27%. What tight end was better than that in the league last year? You asked that had at least 250 routes. There wasn't one. He's it. He was actually above Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews, who are at 25%. Those are great players. Like, I'm still ranking Travis Kelsey and Mark Andrews ahead of Kyle Pitts. So don't like freak out on me. But he has the talent. Look at his air yard share 34%. That, that's a wide receiver one number. 31% remembers the number we want for a wide receiver. He's crushing what tight ends do, right? You look at his average depth of target 13.7. He can stretch the field. Getting a 13.7 A dot and having a 27% targets per route run. Is not probably shouldn't even be possible for a tight end. That, for all intents and purposes, Kyle Pitts is a receiver, guys. And you're getting to play him in a tight end position in fantasy. You should be buying him up in dynasty. And you should be selling all the fear, uncertainty, and doubt you can around the fact that the Falcons quarterbacks could be terrible. True. The Falcons could run the ball a ton. True. He's got to compete with Drake London. True. So what I can't tell you is if Kyle Pitts is going to be a top three tight end this year, but I can tell you it's eventually happening. And I think he's still someone you should have inside your top five. And the last thing I'll say on him is I get a lot of people like, Nope, I'm out on Kyle Pitts. And so my first question will be, okay, great. Um, are you in on Jahan Dotson? Yeah. Yeah. I like Jahan Dotson. Okay. Are you in on, you know, DJ Moore? Oh yeah. I love DJ Moore. Okay. Are you in on Brandon Ayuk? Oh, yeah, man. I love, love Brandon Ayuk, baby. Well, then you should be in on Kyle Pitts. It's the same thing. These are guys that have all the underlying data points that tell us they're really good players, and we're worried about their situation. We're worried about their quarterback. We're worried about how much they're going to run the ball. All of these guys have different factors we're concerned about, yet people want to be so certain that they won't take Kyle Pitts over them. Why? It's only due to recency bias. Because if you drafted Kyle Pitts in round three last year of your fantasy league, and guys, I did it a lot, confession. I didn't win any of them. I went back and looked. He was a complete bust. His underlying data, though, was not a bust. He was good. He's just had some really unlucky crap go against him. Uh, No tight end saw more uncatchable passes than what Kyle Pitts saw last year. It was horrendous, right? Something has got to break his way. The talent is there. So go buy him in Dynasty, and you absolutely... I've been getting him in round seven, man, of best ball drafts. In round seven, 
I could take a player at tight end that if I get it right and he pops off, it's a huge advantage over your league mates, right? Or I can take another wide receiver that, you know, I like and good. I want him to pop off too, but the positional advantage is not the same. If Kyle Pitts hits strategically, he will be worth more to you than Jahan Dotson because you're getting him at a position where everyone else in your league is going to be scrambling. And now you've got one of the elite guys. Like it's just, it's the same thing we see with Kelsey the year before with Andrews. Andrews had a 30% best ball mania uh, three advance rate. Travis Kelsey had a 30% best ball mania advance rate last year. If you get one of these guys, it's a huge difference maker for your team. Dwayne, I think with that, that's going to do it for this episode, man. I, I really, really appreciate you coming on. Uh, it's a very busy time of year. So very much appreciated. Dwayne, guys, you can find Dwayne on FantasyLife.com. He's on Twitter at Dwayne McFarland. I'm telling you guys, you have to check his stuff out. You probably already have realized that listening to him in this episode. By the way, FantasyLife.com, all free. It's literally the best in the game, and Dwayne is also the best in the game. So thank you, Dwayne. Man, thank hey, I appreciate you. Thank you like, for having me on. It's been a blast. All right, guys. Take it easy. See you later. Old Man Winter here. If I had it my way, it would stay winter all year long. Short days, wind chill, black ice, and a good polar vortex. Oh, <laughs> heaven. Wait, is it getting warm in here? Your cold snap is over, Old Man Winter. Spring has arrived. Spring. Spring is here, which means it's the perfect time to get away in the Hyundai you've always wanted. Visit the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event, where you can get great deals on all of our award-winning Hyundai models, like the tech-filled Tucson and Kona, as well as the spacious Palisade. Enjoy wherever you go with the peace of mind that comes with America's best warranty and three years or 36,000 miles of complimentary maintenance. But hurry in. These deals won't last. Add more joy to your journey at the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Now get 0% APR or up to 1500 bonus cash on the Hyundai Tucson. Now, during the Hyundai Getaway Sales Event. Offers end soon. Call 562-314-4603 for details.